6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Verse 10, he says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Renewed. It's a present participle, which means it's continuous, indicating constantly being renewed. This is not the aorist or the past tense or what perfect. It is the present, continuing. And uh, this is really echoes Romans 12, the first two verses. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to understand how to do that practically, uh, I, I call your attention to Nan, my wife's, the second book of her trilogy called Be Ye Transformed, a very practical, proven handbook for those that want to deal with that with respect to their personal walk. All this is the opposite of legalism. It's the spontaneous expression of the life of the head in the members here on earth. Um, I put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Man was created in the image of God. That's Genesis 1. When man sinned, this image of God was marred and ruined. Adam's children were born in the image of their father. In spite of the ravages of sin, man still bears the image of God. We were formed in God's image and deformed from God's image by sin. But through Jesus Christ, we can be transformed into God's image. We must be renewed in the spirit of our minds, according to Ephesians 4, and so on. As we grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, we, can, we will be transformed by the Spirit of God to share in the glorious image of God. God transformed us by the renewing of our minds. That's the very terms used in Romans 12. And this involves the study of God's Word and is the truth that sets us free from the old life, as Jesus points out in John 8. God's purpose for us is that we be conformed to the image of His Son. That's one of the primary purposes. That's in Romans 8, again, verse 29. Just the verse right after my favorite, which is 28. The favorite, Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Them are the called according to His purpose. The most three most important words in that verse are the first three. And we know. We don't believe or hope. No, no. We know that all things work together for good. For everybody, no. For them that love God, who them, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That's who He's talking about. You want to make sure you're one of those. Let's continue Colossians verse, chapter 3, verse 11. Speaking, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, a barbarian, by the way, in the terms here, a barbarian was a term for people who didn't speak Greek. It comes to mean something quite different to us, but it, it's barbarian in a broader sense. But the ultimate bar barbarian in their mind was the Scythian. The Scythian was the ultimate barbarian. They were, it's a very colorful culture to study. A nomadic culture. Um, very, uh, um, we, we know a lot about them through Russian archaeologists and so forth. 
It's very worth understanding. See, Greeks regarded all non-Greeks as barbarians, but the Scythian was proverbially the worst. And you need to understand something kind of interesting. The Scythian lived north beyond the Caspian and Black Sea. And that's a place called the Caucasus. And you may not realize it, but you're probably, many of you here are designated on your passports or certificates that you're Caucasian. How many of you are listed as Caucasians here? Did you realize that those are Scythians? You guys are to be feared, man. <laughs> See, all distinctions like this, of course, are irrelevant. National, religious, ministries that are built upon human distinctions such as race, color, or social standing are not biblical. Not biblical for this verse, if, not the, if none other. Circumcision, that means you're Jewish or non-Jewish is, is, is what I intend to hear. And in Galatians 6, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. And don't think that Israel of God doesn't mean national Israel. Many people try to build a monument out of this verse saying, oh, Israel of God is idiomatic of the church. Big mistake. Not true. Not true. Don't confuse the church and Israel. That's one of the biggest mistakes that most people make if, they don't, if they're not careful. It turns out if you understand the Greek carefully, this actually, the Israel of God in Galatians 6.16 refers to national Israel. If you understand the Greek and the use of the Kai there and the rest, and Arnold Fruchterbaum has a whole book on that very specific thing. And so we don't have to build that here, just be aware of it. Pursuit of holiness. The first, verses 5 through 11, relates to ourselves, but verses 12 through 17, our relationship with others. That's where we're shifting here. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies and kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and long suffering. Wow. The elect of God. Did you know you're the elect of God? Who chose you? Did you choose him or did he choose you? Right? Those whom he has foreknown from outside time, that is in eternity, and who are manifest in time as a believer in his son. Well, now, that's, a, that's the classic debate, isn't it? Predestination versus free will. If it's predestined, then I don't have a choice. No, you do have a choice. Well, you said I was predestined. Yeah, God knows what choice you're going to make. You see, it's a paradox only when viewed from within the time domain. If you stand outside time, it's very simple. Yes, you have free choice, but God can't learn. He knows what choice you're ultimately going to make. Are you chosen of God? Absolutely. When were you chosen? Before the foundation of the world. Can you realize that you were chosen before the foundation of the world? Lots of verses, but Ephesians 1-4 is the classic one. See, there's a chain of five links you want to be aware of. See, God's sovereign purpose is exemplified in two verses. Again, we're in Romans 8, verse 29 and 30. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I love the way Spurgeon apparently is one of the first to equip this. He says, I'm glad he chose me uh, before I was born. I'm glad he did because uh, he might have changed his mind now. <laughs> But uncertainty, by the way, get this though, uncertainty about election can cause, can arise some kind of self-righteousness. See, you didn't have anything to do with it. He chose you. Okay. 
Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. That's the steps. The eternal choice and foreknowledge involves more than establishing a relationship between God and believers. It involves the certainty of our sanctification. Many people miss that. And uh, those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. There's a chain of five links. To foreknow, whom he foreknew, he predestinated. Whom he predestinated, them he called. Whom he called, them he justified. Whom he justified, them he glorified. So there, those are the five links. Foreknow, that's a manifestation of God's knowledge. Predestination. That's, you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here. Abraham was predestined. In Isaac, his seed is called. And that's in Genesis 21, Hebrews 11, and Romans 9. Develops that idea. Out of Isaac, of course, comes Jacob. If God can justify Jacob, there's hope for all of us. Would you buy a used car from Jacob? I don't think so. And then comes Joseph, whom he glorified. The process starts with foreknowledge. The entire group is brought into God's eternal plan by his divine foreknowledge and his choice is predestined. That's what we mean by predetermined. In whom he obtained an inheritance, Ephesians tells us, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Okay. So that gets to predestined. Simply planned in advance is all that means. Ephesians 1 deals with that, of course. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So, that leads to the call, an efficacious call to come to him. In John 10, we looked at that before, and of course in Romans 1, 6 and so forth. And uh, that leads to justifying. Justification simply means declared righteous. And obviously that's well documented. And, uh, and to, to glorify those he also glorified. And that, that's all the way through. So those, those are the steps. And this is amazing because this is a clear statement of the eternal security of the saints. Far beyond just justification. All the way. So we have foreknowledge which leads to election, election to predestination. Foreknowledge determines election. Predestination brings to pass the election. Election looks back to foreknowledge. Predestination looks forward to destiny. That's the steps. And it's only a paradox when you view it from within the time domain. You've got to step out, step out of the box to get the whole picture. So there's corporate election. Israel, the church are both corporate elections, different, different origins, different destinies. Individual, same thing, according to the foreknowledge of God we just looked at. Holy of grace, not of human merit. You didn't earn it. God chose you. Whereby certain are chosen for himself. For, or for distinctive service. Okay. Predestination has to do with God's purpose with his people. It refers only to those who are saved. Election refers to the people of God. Predestination, the purposes of God. There's a subtlety there. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Holy and beloved. All it means is set apart. Those who have been set apart in Christ, sanctified by the blood of the everlasting covenant, dear to God because they are his own children, partakers of the divine nature. That's you. 
I trust. Bowels of mercy. Now, that's a strange term in our vocabulary. We think of heart. Boy, that guy has a lot of heart. Well, the, the older view was that he had a lot of guts. Okay. And uh, just to express the deepest feelings, stirred with deep compassion. And we need to express our tender feelings with compassion to one another more often. Mercies, kindness, those are our inner vestments. David's treatment of Meshivaveth is one of, the, uh, one of the examples that's used from the Old Testament. Humbleness of mind. See, the next is the cap for the head. Humbleness of mind. Pride is a stench in God's nostrils. It's through pride that sin was first introduced into the universe through Lucifer. Leaven is a type of sin because it corrupts by puffing up. Interesting idiom. Humbleness of mind is not thinking poorly of yourself. It's having the proper estimate of oneself in the will of God. Big difference. Very important. And, of course, meekness. That's in contrast with the psychotherapy's pursuit of self-esteem. We're to take on a vesture of meekness. Now, meekness is not weakness. It's power under control, like a soothing wind or like a healing medicine or a broken cold. It's composed of, rare, of rarer material than most suppose. Moses also was meek, the Scripture tells us. And we're told to seek meekness. Jesus is the model. And I know of no other source than God's presence, and we need to constantly seek it. Long-suffering, long-tempered is what it really says. Readiness to endure grief, suffering wrongfully. It's natural for us, when falsely accused, to feel we must defend ourselves or resent such treatment. When King Hezekiah and his officers were taunted by their adversary, charging them falsely and threatening severe treatment, the king's command was, answer them not a word. Answer them not a word. What a defense. God can be dependent upon to vindicate his own if they do not attempt to vindicate themselves. Jesus is praying for those who despitefully use them and who persecute them in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Again, Jesus is the model. Forbearing one another, literally holding up is what it really means, uh, one another. Forgiving one another. Forgiveness opens the heart to the fullness of the lo love of God. In part. And uh, how much and how frequently has God forgiven you? Oh, boy. Remember the Christian's bar of soap. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. Not us. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We call that the Christian's bar of soap. 1 John 1, 9. Use it frequently. But you need to ask one for forgiveness. You don't say, gee, you're sorry. It needs to be a two-party transaction. You ask, the other forgives. And if you fail to forgive, you're binding yourself to that issue. You forgive him because that frees you from that issue. Otherwise, you'll be in bondage to it. And that leads to a root of bitterness, which is destructive. Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness or completion. In the clothing of spiritual warfare, we need a white belt, not a black one. Huh? The pinnacle of gifts, agape. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. Others will follow, as we'll see in the next verse. 
the biggest shortage in the body of Christ is love. Is love. Mahatma Gandhi was asked, what is the biggest obstacle to Christianity in India? He had an interesting answer. Christians. <laughs> interesting. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. The word rule there is an athletic term. Which is, uh, it means to preside at games and distribute the prizes. You and I, the term uh, umpire comes close from our point of view. Um, they, they're the ones that rejected the contestants that were not qualified and disqualified those who broke the rules and so on. And be ye thankful. Boy, how much do we have to be thankful for? I personally believe the two sins that I personally deal with continually in my prayers is my ingratitude and my presumption. Those two categories capture so much of that which can, can trammel us from where we should be. Boy, how much we have to be thankful for. One of our most common sins is ingratitude, and we should keep that constantly in mind. We should be thankful always for all things, and Ephesians 5, of course, hammers that home too. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Well, I have to confess, that's not, I'm not very good at that. I couldn't, I, the only notes I can carry have to be well collateralized. Right? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word of Christ, this is the only place that phrase occurs. Only here. Does the Word dwell in you is the question. And it also indicates songs are important. I don't happen to have those skills, but I regret that I don't. Our lives are to be lyrical and filled with the melody of Him. The joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah suggests. You know, it's interesting. Um, uh, it's, it's sort of sobering, actually, to compare the richness of the theology of the classic hymns with the rather vapid lyrics of much of the Christian music today. It astonishes me to really appreciate the theology in some of the great old hymns. And uh, the, uh, 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 in contrast to what people call the 7-Eleven music. Seven words repeated 11 times, you know. <laughs> and uh, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The hymn should be addressed to Him from our hearts, not our lips. This is parallel to Ephesians 5, similar passage. So there is a danger today, as there was in Paul's day, that local churches minimize the Word of God. This church here is one of the refreshing exceptions. But I think most of you are aware enough to realize how unique this exception is. And there are, uh, there are across America, we, we visit a lot of churches, but the ones that are committed to the Word of God are a small minority. Everybody else is chasing amusement, entertainment, and, and uh, in their own way, the world. Nope, we need to maximize our commitment to the Word of God, and God takes care of the rest of it. There is, according to Paul, a definite relationship between our knowledge of the Bible and our expression of worship in song. Some of the reason these songs are so vapid is because the Singers are uh, devoid of real roots in the Word of God. 
One way we can teach and encourage ourselves and others is through the singing of the Word of God. But if we do not know the Bible and understand it, we cannot honestly sing it from our hearts. We can mimic catchy tunes, but we're not reaching into the meat. This poverty of Scripture in our churches is one cause of the abundance of unbiblical songs that we have today. Some of them are scary, you know. I won't start that down that path. Let's go on here. Whatsoever you do, and oh, this is this is the this is you want another memory verse. We had about three of them so far. This is a dandy. Colossians three seventeen. Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Boy, is that a broad sweep. Is that a broad sweep. Whatsoever you do, whatever it is, when you go shopping, whatever you're doing, take the most menial, the most common activity, take God with you. Whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. This summarizes it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, it's interesting, names were assigned to reflect our character. When Abraham and Sarai, when Abram was changed to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah, all God did is put a he in the name, an H, what we call an H, a he in the Hebrew. And the he represents a breath, a wind, the ruach, the spirit. He put the spirit of God in both of them. And their names were changed because they had the spirit of God in them. Interesting. I'm sparing you the whole long story, but anyway. Jacob was changed to Israel. Simon to Peter. Saul to Paul. Those names are each very relevant. Our entire life, every detail, is to be put in subjection to the Lord. This is the ultimate test of appropriateness and conduct and so forth. You always ask, can I do such and so? Can you do such and so in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks? If your answer is yes, do it. The answer is no, don't. Can I do such and such? Well, can you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks? Well, I don't know. Well, I don't think, I don't know if you should do it. So that's your yardstick. That's your litmus test. It's pretty simple. Keep it in mind. Apply it. There's no room for self-will or self-assertiveness. He does not want to be number one on a list of ten. He wants to be number one on a list of one. That's what it's all about. Even the Lord of the universe came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. That was Jesus' attitude. He didn't do what he wanted. He did what his father wanted him to do. And there is a theological argument that everything he did, he did by the power of the Spirit. He didn't do it as the power of the Son of God. That's what that first temptation was about, where Satan says, you know, turn these, turn this into, turn this, these rocks and these stones into bread. He could do it. But no, he's doing everything by the Holy Spirit. Ooh, that's interesting. Comparing the Ephesians passage with this one, we are to be filled with the Spirit as well as being filled with His Word. And if He represents the Godhead, then they're both synonymous, aren't they? Giving thanks. That's the fifth of six references to thanks in this letter. And what's really interesting as you get these admonitions from Paul, realize he's writing as a prisoner. I always feel I can hear the clank of the chains as he's writing. He was a prisoner, encouraging us. Wow. 
Four motivations. We forgive because Christ forgave us. The peace of Christ should rule in our hearts. The word of Christ should dwell in us richly. And the name of Christ should be in our identification and our authority. Christ is all in all. And that's verse 13, 15, 16 of this series here. Okay. So we've been through this outline. We have taken a, a look at the first half of chapter 3. The next session would, will take care of the, the, next, the rest of chapter 3. And so I want you to study the rest of chapter 3, including the first verse of chapter 4 as part of that. And why is the government the predictable purveyor of immorality? Many people don't realize their government has an incentive to promote immorality. That may shock you. Why? And we'll develop that next time. Why will many Christians be disappointed when they get to heaven? That's just a personal assertion. But why am I making that? Am I right or am I wrong? Let's check that out. And why was Paul so fearful of, in his words, being a castaway? Was he afraid of losing his salvation? I thought he wrote the book on eternal security. What's he talking about? Lest I preach to others that I myself might be a castaway. We'll take up those things in the next session. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. And bar our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, that you would help us appropriate these doctrines into duty, that we might be more effectual at pleasing you by applying these truths that you've revealed to us through your word that we each might be more pleasing in thy sight, that we each might be more effective stewards of these graces and opportunities that you afford us. We do pray, Father, that through your Spirit and through your Word, we can be more pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength, our Redeemer, our coming King. For it is in the name of Yeshua that we do indeed pray these things. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Colossians. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.